0: Seems gold and bleak, and you just can't take anymore. Here it comes, that glimmer of hope, a light shines through the door. It's a hopeless show. With every rogue woe, it's a hopeless show.
1: can't look out because I love you too much, baby.
2: I didn't realize we had Elvis we, on the show today.
1: We can't live together with suspicious minds. I don't know. What do you think? Like, that song is covered so much, and I just think that it's the best Elvis song.
2: Was it Fat Elvis era? Because that helps contribute. I think,
1: yeah. That's what was cool is it went like... He kind that song. I feel he went a little bit off of the Elvis, just like it was like less of that Elvis and more of like it's like he went a little Beatlesy. It was like it's like sounds like not totally an Elvis song, and uh, a lot of people have covered it because of that. Like there's a great cover by uh, I think Mumford and Sons does one. There's like it's just a cool. It's Suspicious Minds is the song, and you knew immediately. Like I'm guessing you're not a huge Elvis like connoisseur right
2: no most people i think the closest is most people just think i look like a very young elvis Uh.
1: (laughs) yes i mean that's yeah you look like elvis meets brad pitt exactly with
2: with a really strong tan
1: with a strong tan yeah yes slightly darker yes elvis is yeah he just had this one song suspicious minds that feels like it was a, a different elvis it was like he went he went like weird and darker and I just I, I like that song and I like the covers of it, um, which has nothing to do with our show today. So yeah. I guess we should intro we should introduce our show, right?
2: Yeah, welcome to episode forty eight of
1: the Hopeless Show. How's that? I'm uh, that was good. That was uh, you know what it gave me. Like my mind was feeling suspicious though. Is it really episode forty eight? Um, I think so. Okay, I'll go with. I think so. I yeah, think episode so forty-eight. Name.
2: Yeah, because the last one was forty-seven.
1: Whoa! Which means the next one will be forty-nine. That's yes. mind blown. Uh, today, so today we have an amazing uh, two guests. They are the founders of Eye to Eye, a national education organization, and the um, David Flink, who uh, came up with this concept, I believe, in college. Is, uh, was just named as one of the CNN heroes when they do those CNN hero specials. He's a CNN hero. So they will be joining us to talk about uh, how they perceive the change in education and what we need to, what we need to keep doing to change our education system coming out of COVID and how uh, we all need to be given a fair chance, which, Rohit, do you know what this ties into? I don't, Aaron. Well... We are starting uh, a movement, a social movement here at Howling Wolf Productions, and it's not a movement for us, it's a movement for you, it's a movement for everyone. It's called the I Am Able Movement, and it is about bringing voices to people who struggle with, non, with uh, invisible disabilities, and we're doing the little square where you can put on your Instagram, I Am Able. And if you go to IamAble.info, you can see all about it. And it's about empowering people who've struggled in any way internally. Could be mental, could be that you have some sort of disability, ADHD, dyslexia, you're on the spectrum, whatever it might be. And, uh, And we want everyone to shout loud and clear that they are able, that they have abilities, that they're proud of their abilities in spite of their struggles that they've had in their lives.
2: I think that's fantastic. And and when will this be uh, going live?
1: It's going live like by the time people are listening to this it will be live. The uh-huh. the beginning date is May 25th. So yeah, by when you're listening to this episode you will be able to go to i am info and get your square, put it up. Shout your ability. Make a little video. There's, It's all very user-friendly and simple. Make a little video that says what you're proud of that you can do. And you can also say something you struggle with because it's all about – this is all about positivity. I'll talk about it a little more in the show. And that's why we have David Flink and Marcus Sutra on the show to uh, talk about what they've been doing in education because it all ties in to, as we come out of this pandemic, to bringing – to. To going past the divides to things of positivity where people can say, scream out loud that they are able and they are proud of who they are and what they can do, as opposed to the system size focusing on what they can't do.
2: Love that. I love that. And, you know, and Aaron, wherever I, as your co host, can help and join with that, I'd be more than happy to.
1: Um, well, you'll be putting up a square and doing a little video and. Uh, being proud of who you are because you are, uh, I mean, you're perfect, but maybe if you dig deep, you'll find something.
2: I'm sure we can get there. I'm sure with <laughs> enough digging, we'll find something.
1: That's, uh, that's, yeah, because that's the, in terms of news from the quarantine, and I'm glad we'll get there with you because, I mean, there's there's got to be something. I haven't found it, you know, in all our years of friendship. I haven't seen one thing that is a flaw of yours, but. Uh, I know that you're able to do so many things, so you can definitely talk. You could do like a 20 minute video just about how able you are with so many things.
2: Yeah, I can just, you know, continue to serve as an inspiration to all. Um, (laughs) So, you know, if wherever you could use me, Aaron, let's do that. But I think, um, yes, I'm sure I'm sure I have more flaws than I have unflaws. whatever the opposite of a flaw is strength, I guess, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll dig down, but regardless, (laughs) really excited for that initiative for I am able. So why don't we kick off our first topic and Aaron, this is an interesting one. So mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, he wants to quote unquote, turn Miami into an unwoke pro Bitcoin tech billionaires paradise. And here's (laughs) why I'm hopeless. I don't want to move to Miami. (laughs) That shit sounds awesome.
1: I was about to tell you, about to say just that, that the problem with that is it's Miami. And uh, well, let me try to bring you some hope because I've been to Miami. I've been there like for a spring break, I think once in college and I've been there for work. It's a fun place to go for a few days. And then it's such a like showy city where it's all about like the chains that you're wearing and the money you're spending and the cars you're driving and I just I mean this is coming from someone from L.A. but I can't stand. Yeah, I that was just about it. to say. <laughs> I was like, yeah, wait a- but but can I just as uh, as uh, my friend, I, I think you could say I'm not that type of person. No, you are not, you, and. You- no, it's just not me. I don't like the showy like I say uh if you need to be showy first check yourself in the mirror because who are you really yeah. so like, who are you I flexing love that for? yeah, who are you flexing for right now you the answer is right now you I'm yeah. showing you because I worked out worked out this morning so I feel pretty buff me too but you did too Ooh, we're yeah. both I mean so we're gonna be starting an offshoot. Oh yeah, they're big, and we're going to be starting an offshoot podcast called the uh, Yoked List Show, where <laughs> we're going to tell, where we're going to be telling everyone how you can get yoked like us.
2: Mm-hmm. The the trick is to do um, you know ups with your knees on the ground, um, and <laughs> um, you know pick up like those Dasani water bottles, do three reps on each arm. Um, and then just tying my shoes, you know, that, 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 that's a good exercise because you know, I'm kind of winded after each time I do each shoe, but.
1: And drink lots of green tea. I'm drinking green tea right now. Green tea is, is the energy of champions.
2: But, but actually if I may just pop in with this, let's put the Miami thing on a pause really quick. I actually have been working out, I think five days a week now, and I've generally been allergic to exercise, um, for most of my life. And. (laughs) it's cause I got a rowing machine and I like, I've never enjoyed exercise until now. And it's just like, and it's really because what's happening is like you're doing these 15 or 20 minute sessions and you are just staying in rhythm with that instructor, they're moving down a place. You actually are seeing some progress of where you're going physically in that river or wherever it's on the big screen. Um, the machine's called Hydro. It's a really cool sort of like it's like the Peloton but of rowing machines. And I, uh, I've been riding that, and I, yeah, it's been getting me to like you know work out and I enjoy it and I actually look forward to it. And I and mornings are hard for me, but I've actually been like exercising in the morning, so I, I feel I'm a changed person. So I just. Uh, I feel good, man. And I hope that uh you found something you love too, because I didn't know it was possible. Yeah.
1: yeah, I lift my cans of green tea.
2: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yerba mate. Green yeah. tea. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, but I that's, think that's
1: yeah. and and I and congrats on that. I'm proud of you and I, I look forward to seeing this machine because it sounds cool.
2: Yeah, yeah. Come over and try it out. It's pretty it's pretty fun. Um but back to uh, Miami.
1: I'll, yeah, so the hope. Is So just because this mayor said that they're going to be the place, I feel like Miami's kind of the opposite of that place. What I hope, my hope in it is it's just an idea. It's not necessarily going to happen. I don't really see Miami being that place. I feel like Miami, maybe he came up with the idea. And I bet another city or two jumps in on that. Because yeah. Miami, it just doesn't seem like... Like uh, what's that one hotel or what? I just don't see there being like, you know, the rooftop of the Bitcoin hotel and people are drinking $35 martinis and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, it's like arm candy and cars and, and then like, yo dude, did you see, uh, did you see where Ethereum's at today? Yeah, bro. It was like, it's like 2750, man. It's just like Miami and it doesn't feel like it's that. Miami's got its thing I
2: buy that I buy that and I think you're right about that and I think however if because here's the place the future Bitcoin billionaires like you and me and this is leading into the next segment a little bit we're gonna need a city to live in that isn't going to pretty much tax the shit out of all of our profits and I'll get to this in yep. a little bit in our next segment so maybe they're on to something if this is where all the people that are getting rich with their cryptos and the place that has the least regulations with that and the tech businesses are taxed the least and it's it's a place where business can thrive obviously there's negative impacts because that makes housing unaffordable for normal people that are currently living in Miami um, same thing that happened to San Francisco and Silicon Valley once tech blew that place up but I do think that technology was constantly moved to places that allow it to grow and profit in California has not been doing that over the past few years. Even we turned down. Even like we didn't have to put a competitive offer for uh, Tesla to put their enormous battery plant that was lost to Las Vegas. You know, thousands of jobs were lost and billions and billions and billions in revenue were lost because California wouldn't budge. So. I think maybe my hope is kind of a combo of what you're saying is maybe it's not even going to happen, but if it does happen, maybe this will get other cities and even California itself where you and I live to open their eyes and treat business a little bit better, but at the same time, try and find ways to progressively help people that are getting priced out of living because there has to be a, a, a blend between the two. So I think maybe that's a hope. It's good progress. Maybe it'll move us forward. Yeah. To, to counter my negative hope is I really don't want to move to Miami. No hate on Miami. I got friends there too. I've been to weddings there and all this kind of stuff, um, but Yeah. I'm here in
1: LA with you, bro. So yeah, we're here. We're here to stay. Um, and you know, I'd move to yeah, yeah. So I think we can hope, Gong. That I was yep. about to add something to my to what you said, and I realized you covered it all. Sometimes, see, this is a, going back to it with I am able. Rohit is so able to answer his own problems that he doesn't need me, and this it makes me feel untrue. lonely.
2: You help me get there. <laughs> That's a thing. It's just, ah. I vocalize them and I steal your thunder unintentionally before that you get a chance to, to then say it. So apologies.
1: <laughs> well, I'll hope gong it. Yes, good. And then I'm also going to throw a punch. Nice. Just because punches right. are thrown. It's fun to throw yeah. punches.
2: I'm like that Rockies fan. You're the Padres fan from last week. Um, last oh, oh that was dope. That was yeah. so good. We hope all you listeners so, get a chance to check out that, that clip still. It's amazing.
1: Yes, it was so good. So, And we're going to get to sports injury, too, in a, in a little bit later in the show. But why don't you kick us off with uh, something that is just sweeping the nation. It's sweeping the world. It's the pandemic of money.
2: Crypto Watch. Now, Aaron. Yes. I think you have a thought. And why don't you kick off how we're approaching this segment? Like, what, what what's on your mind right now?
1: So what's on my mind is... Rowitz sends me something very generously, very generous and kind of his uh, offers sends me something to get, or like switch like a coin into another coin. he says, get this. So the thing is when he does it every single time, and I don't want to be like, dude, you've got to help me. I can't figure this out. But every single time I cannot figure out how to get the fucking coin. Like it's impossible. And, uh, He sent me one this morning and – well, actually, he sent it, I believe, last night and I was so uh, focused on waking up early to do my three-hour workout that I was asleep and I wake up and instead of working out, I have to figure out how to get this coin (laughs) and I cannot for the life of me figure out how to do it. Dude, it was 6 a.m. I'm sitting on my phone and I'm like, wait, what the hell? So – I have to move – I don't even remember what it's called already. Musket coin or something? Yeah, musket coin. Yeah. Musket coin. So he's like, you got to get this. And here's their white paper. And you go to this site and then you're going to pancake it because then once you pancake it, then you clue coin it. I I don't even know what all the words were, but it was like – and I tried like four times, could not figure it out. Then I downloaded another app that I had turned – it turns out don't need. But I used it. Then then Rohit had to send me two videos that I had to watch of how to do this to get this coin. And then by the time I'd figured out how to do it, I thought I did it right and immediately thought I'd screwed up and just thrown the money into the sky. But then it did show up in this other wallet that wasn't the one that I was intending it to go to. And so now I have it, I have this, I think I have 8 billion of these things. Yeah. Cause yes, you can get 8 billion of these, what they'll do. I don't know. Uh, but I just feel like you, I, and please keep sending me these recommendations cause one of us will, one of them will make us billionaires, but, and I wouldn't want you to be the only billionaire cause then I'd like no. you'd have to pay for everything of mine.
2: Yeah, and billionaires need billionaire buddies. Like, you you can't be a billionaire on an island. I mean, technically you can, because if you're a billionaire, you can buy an island. But you don't want to be on an emotional island away from your other billionaire buddies. And Aaron, you and I will become billionaires together through crypto. By buying really weird shit coins um, with (laughs) absolutely zero knowledge on how they work, or why they work, or why they're good, or even how to understand the metrics around it but this is what you and I are going to continue to do. Uh-huh.
1: We will, but can you just give me some hope because I just, and it's going to continue. You have to keep sending me these and then I have to, I'm going to always get confused. <laughs> Here's the hope.
2: I'm just as confused and I do the research for you. So that way oh. I save you time and then you just have yes! to follow the couple of videos. Yeah. So that's your hope, man. I'm doing the hard work because I'm just as confused as you when people give me these tips and for the listeners out there, it's not as easy to go on Coinbase Um, which is the biggest crypto uh, sort of trading app and just buying like Bitcoin, right? Now, a lot of these coins or almost all these coins that Aaron and I are talking about, but not recommending. We are no way recommending this to any of you. This is us just discussing our follies. Um, We have to go to... Um, A sort of another app called trust wallet Which then has a browser within there which then has All those these smaller exchanges in there And these coins aren't even listed on those Exchanges in search you actually have to have This long code Which you then enter and then it pulls it up And sometimes you have to use different versions of Those sub browsers to Pull up those coins and then you have to take Other existing coins bigger coins Then transfer them once to an exchangeable Coin which you then transfer for this It's like really an involved process Each time but once you do it a couple times you kind of get the hang of it. It's just a matter. Each time we find one of these new coins, there are different exchanges, and some of these different um, places that you have to swap it, and it's it, it is quite a complicated process. Um, you just confused me off. again. Yeah, I just got so, confused again. So every time we get one of these hot tips, if it's not in the existing framework and one of the frameworks that we've used before, we then have to relearn it, kind of. So the one that the muskets, uh, that was the coin that Aaron and I were talking about. Um, you know, I have nine billion, he's got eight billion. So if it hits a dollar this weekend, which it's you know, it's nowhere near a dollar, um, it's like point oh 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 one five or something like that. So um
1: it's not a it's, lot.
2: We if it hits a dollar this week it'd be really great because I'll have nine billion, Aaron will have eight billion, and it'd be really, really happy. Um and so
1: you're so your first that one bit, the billion that you have more than me. Mm-hmm. Um let's like do something with that first so we can save the other eight billion. Yeah. So let's spend your your one billion first.
2: Let's like buy a sports team or something.
1: Uh, Okay. Cool. So let's buy the. We'll buy a stake in the Dodgers, or we can buy the whole Orioles if you want.
2: Yeah. Yeah. They'll. I can buy. We'll buy buy the Orioles and we'll turn them around. Um, Okay.
1: Great. But there's some other stuff that's been going on this week in the crypto world. For those not interested in crypto, we're trying to make you interested because it's so weird. It should just be an interesting weird thing that for everyone. Yeah. So be interested in the things we're interested in. Yeah.
2: And, and I think the big moment was the crypto crash yeah. of this past week. Dude, it sucked because both of our portfolios were cut in half in a matter mm-hmm. of 48 hours after Elon Musk tweeted um, that Bitcoin is going to stop being used by Tesla or accepted by Tesla. But then what happened after that was a precipitous drop um, across all the crypto markets coupled with China. Announcing that they are not going to allow people to trade in crypto Followed up by various not only foreign governments But the US government themselves saying they are going to crack down on crypto And those fuckers at the IRS are going to want their cut too Because they've worked so hard We're the ones figuring out how to use Pancake Exchange and Uniswap (laughs) And doing all the buying the Ethereum on one platform Transferring it to another platform And then exchanging the Ethereum within that And we're the ones doing all the work Why the hell does the IRS... Get any stake in this. So all of yeah. this caused a huge, huge plummet in plummet. crypto. Like it was bad. Bitcoin went from like 58 to like 30 or close to 30 in.
1: Really sad.
2: Know, it was really bad. Now it's up to like 40s, like low 40s. Um, so it's it's starting to recover a little bit. But this was not just like a punch of the stomach. This was like a
1: flesh wound uh, to the crypto market. Um, recent and what happened can i can i ask you what happened with cluecoin because so i know CluCoin, you sent me about that
2: i no. did you, you get sent it sent me about Cluecoin. um that was oh you i first, did i believe and somebody else had sent my friend evan and that's what uh, it was uh, yep and evan had also sent it to me the same night but i just didn't check my text messages because i don't know what i was doing i think i was watching tv or just not and i was just taking the night off of the phone um So both of you guys told me about it. I was later to ClueCoin than you guys, but it seems like I got in a bit late, but it seems like if you had got in when
1: you got in. No, I never ended up getting in. Oh,
2: I thought you did.
1: No, I I almost got in.
2: Apparently it went up 100x from the time that you told me to the time I bought it. Um,
1: Uh, Yeah, sorry. uh, Yeah, my bad. Uh, mm. This is this is the most hopeless I've ever felt on <laughs> yeah, this show. Sorry, <laughs> um, I don't know what's under. Was that the was, one where you had to buy it in a weird way too? Like, yes, through yes. pancakes and stuff.
2: Yes, 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 yes. You had to do with through pancake swap. Um, and there is a new um, sort of social browser uh, or sort of social platform called Lunar Crush, um, L U N A R C R U S H, which is like an analytics platform. Where you can sort of see like what what the cool cryptos are coming up and not and. It's it's got a lot of it. It's got all these like rising shit coins that you can like take a look at. Both ClueCoin and the other coin that we mentioned, Muskets, are not even showing up on there yet. They're like not even hitting the platform. Um, I think ClueCoin is probably going to be added soon, but these coins have not hit any sort of major trading exchanges, so it's going to be really hard to sort of and they're, the vo- the conversation volume is so low. Regardless, I threw I just took the money that I lost on four twenty X. Um, which I'm glad that you weren't able to buy, which is something I think we may have talked about last week along yeah. with Cum Rocket. But I put money in 420X. <laughs> I lost 80% of that money. So I just cashed that out, and I just transferred that into ClueCoin. Uh, oh, okay, so, we'll so you
1: have now. a little tiny bit of ClueCoin. Small.
2: Yes, very small. Very small amount.
1: And um, do you think, uh, is it worth getting in now, even though I should have gotten in? Yeah, I Or would is say, it pointless? I would say
2: put a small amount. Like a small amount. Something that you don't care about losing. Just like see what happens. I think like we, both you and I missed the wave on that.
1: Uh, but and that's the one, to one you have, have to puzzles. do through all the other, I have to figure, I have to like.
2: That one's, that one's a regular another. pancake swap, but you still have to like enter that code. That one's that one's pretty oh easy. My gosh. That one's exactly the same way you bought SafeMoon. And our editor, Nate, has specifically asked us to talk about SafeMoon on this episode. So oh yeah. Aaron and I both, that was like the first complicated crypto that Aaron and I got in on. Yeah, I'm looking um, right
1: now. I believe and, we made zero dollars yeah, on it. Yeah, let's
2: see how are we doing on on Safe Moon. Uh,
1: Lost money. We are down a yeah. lot. <laughs> oh yeah, we're
2: down like forty percent. Um, sweet. So or thirty five percent. Yeah. Now, this is it's interesting because Aaron and I bought this about three weeks ago, but it seems like more and more people are buying into SafeMoon, Moon, and so maybe that will help. I'm seeing a little bit more press about it, a bit more discussion, and Dave Portnoy. From uh, Barstool Sports, but he's, you know, he was big in the GME, uh, the GameStop, um, Robin Hood conflict. He was oh, on right. top of the trash. Like, that dude's awesome. He is big in on Safe Moon. He just got in and bought a fuck ton of it. So I'm hoping that, you know, this does sort of rise up. But even any Safe Moon success is, again, really hampered by the recent crypto crash. Um, so we'll see. Hope that didn't take the wind out of its sails.
1: And that's the thing which I think will lead us we will go to sports next because this is has become kind of a sport, if you will. The the whole crypto thing has become a sport and it's also become something that causes a lot of people, myself included, tons of anxiety. Because in one minute you can go from like, oh, you've made money to you've lost a lot of money. It's just it's really stressful. Kind of like being a sports fan. Transition. Do you guys see that? It was a transition. I love uh, it but but just to continue with the theme of the day everyone who listens to this show is able to be involved in the crypto market you can have $1 in it and it doesn't matter cuz that $1 could turn into like $1000 just like that so everyone is able to become rich from crypto everyone yeah, is I not necessarily... you agree and everyone doesn't yeah is and let me try to interrupt you one more time Sorry, so you agree I interrupted right you.
2: I agree, and actually, I should add a quick note. It crypto is possibly the return of the middle class, so because it's giving everybody a chance to get in. But anyway, please continue.
1: Well, that's actually I like that what you just said there. That gives me a lot of hope. Um, I'm gonna hope gong that because that's just nice. the return of the middle class would be beautiful because it's gone. Ready? Yep. So, with that, so another thing that people are incessantly uh, fanatics about is sports. And I know you have something that you're nervous about in the sports world, in our sports updates, sports, 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 Sports. updates of sports. Yeah, man. Yeah. (sighs) (sighs) Right. I love sports. All right. So what do you have to say, Rohit?
2: So what I have to say is that for the first time in like a decade, my near, almost nearly decade, the Knicks are back in the playoffs and I'm, a big Knicks fan, and it's been really hard to watch them for the past nearly 30 years. Um, you know, we had, we lost the NBA Finals in 1994. We lost the NBA Finals in uh, the 99-2000 season when we got our asses kicked by um, uh, the Spurs, the Latrell Sprewell era. And since then, the, the team has been absolutely trash, having made the playoffs like once since the year 2000. Um, and... It's been a brutal, brutal, brutal uh, streak, and we're expected to go into this year just as another rebuilding year because all we do is rebuild. However, we clinched the number four seed in the East, and we have a playoff game this Sunday. I am so excited, but the part I want to talk to you about, Aaron, is like I don't know if I'm ready to be hurt again because I wasn't expecting us to be good this year, and is this something? How do I prepare for this? Because this, I, this could Three. hurt more than not making the playoffs.
1: I'm shocked the Knicks are good. I mean, the, the Knicks really shouldn't be good. Who are you playing?
2: Uh, Atlanta, and we're at okay. Home. They
1: bare they barely have a an NBA team. Um, <laughs> so, so you're playing the Hawks. Who really don't like? No one in Atlanta cares about the Hawks. They're like the least popular NBA team. They, I don't think. I think that the that COVID is making them feel better about their crowds because their crowds are at least similar to other crowds because they draw so few people to their games. <laughs> so they don't want it to open up to full capacity because if it does, then they'll look like the Hawks again. So I think you could beat the Hawks just because the Hawks are just such a lame franchise, and. Now, in terms of feeling hope, the Knicks are not winning the NBA championship. We all know that. If you can win the first round, I think that would be a win. So I would try to just think, take small steps. First, just go for it. Because I'm a Clipper fan, right? So I've never had any joy in my basketball life ever in my entire life growing up. Never have I had joy. We've never made it to the Western Conference Finals. So we haven't the West making it to the Western Conference Finals. And for those who aren't sports fans, that's the the series right before the NBA finals. We've never even made it to that. So for me, just a playoff win is exciting. Two playoff wins is exciting. Winning a series is exciting. And so I would put your headspace in the headspace of a Clippers fan and just look at every victory as a win for the franchise going forward. Because you basically have been like the Clippers for 20 years. We've just been the Clippers for the whole Clippers. All the Clippers time. That's true. So that's my hope for you. I, I think the odds of you winning the NBA finals are like zero. So I wouldn't keep that in your head. Like not to be mean, not to sound desolate, but I mean d- decrepit and, you know, just flat out mean, but you have zero chance.
2: Oh yeah. Like, Here's the thing. I'm a Baltimore Orioles fan. The last time they won the world series was in 1982. I was like barely, uh, I was like not even a year old. The last time the Knicks won the, the NBA finals was in 1973. So that I, that was nearly 50 years ago. Um, so I don't, I mean, fortunately I've gotten a few Super Bowls out of my Giants. Um, but, uh, in terms of most of my sports, I expect no, and I think you're right. This is a good reminder. Expect absolute failure in anything beyond failure is a plus. I think it's the same advice I gave to you last NBA playoffs. Um, Yeah. And
1: then the failure happened immediately.
2: Yeah. All right. I'm ready for it. I'm ready. I am ready to be hurt because I expect to be hurt.
1: Great. Exactly. And then if you're surprised, you're surprised. And then like, then you can feel happy and you can do a little happy dance and a Nick
2: dance. And even if they lose, it's just at least certain things will always stay the same. And at least there's comfort that not everything in life is changing and different. So that's good. So it'll be, yeah. Keep me grounded. And,
1: and so keeping with that theme of the, uh, like teams that are just the most depressing team ever. Uh, so my hockey team, because my my mom's from uh, from Toronto, right? Mm-hmm. So I grew up and went to some Leafs games as a kid, which was really cool. Uh, and my grandfather was a Leafs fan, and so I follow him from afar. And the Leafs are that weird, depressing hockey franchise that hasn't won a Stanley Cup since 1967. So that's, carry the one that's 54 years of not winning a championship, not winning the Stanley Cup, not getting to touch Lord Stanley and kiss it. Now, why I'm feeling extra sad is this year seemed like a year where we have a shot. Like this is a good young team with some good veteran presence and a lot of stars And for those who aren't fans of hockey, which is most people, um, just bear with me. Something happened, and you can look it up, that was just really depressing last night. So the captain of the team, uh, John Tavares, or in Canada they say Tavares, but uh, he had this awful injury where he collided with the other player, I forget his name, and then Fell to the ground, and as he fell to the ground, the player he collided with was skating so fast he tried to hop over his head but need him in the head. And then then Tavares was like out, and they tried to pick him up, and his neck kind of rolled back, and he just had to be stretchered off, taken to the hospital. And so to lose your captain on the first game of the playoffs, I immediately feel completely hopeless that this is going to be another year where the Leafs don't go anywhere. And it's just sad because this – it just – It's very sad, and then something pissed me off about this, and it made me mad about hockey. Hockey has fighting, right? We know that. There's people brawl in hockey. It's amazing. But there's a time when it's stupid, and this was a time when it was stupid. The guy whose name I'm now forgetting. One sec, I'll pull it up. Oh, right. Corey Perry on the Canadians. He, uh, need him in the head, right? So then there's an unwritten rule if your player gets hurt that you have to go, that the next... Face off. You have to go and fight that guy. Now, Perry just felt awful about it. Like, he didn't try to hurt him. And he was really concerned about what happened. And the and Tavares is an all-around known good dude. Like, there was no intention here. But he li- literally had to huddle with the guy he was facing off against. And they, you saw them say, like, I guess we have to do this. I mean, I don't want to do this. I'm feeling terrible right now, About worried about his health. But I guess when the puck drops, we have to just fight each other. And you could see them both saying, I guess we have to do it. All right. <laughs> and then I guess we got to do it. And so then the puck drops and they immediately fight. And you can tell they're like so un-into fighting, but they each throw a punch or two and then they get to go to the penalty box. And I just thought this is so dumb. Like, you know, there's, there's playing the game and then there's when real bad shit happens. We didn't need a fight there. We needed people to just keep playing the hockey game and try to get through the game because it was, uh, and the Leafs lost, of course, because it was, because uh, it was so painful, like, to watch. And I just think that is the dumbest, and maybe, I just think it's the dumbest unwritten rule that, like, that you they had to go fight. It's like their brother went down and they got to fight.
2: Yeah, you know what, though? If anything, I respect them for upholding the integrity of fighting in the game. They did what they had to do because if those guys didn't fight, it might be a slippery slope where we stop seeing fights in hockey, where people start to say, oh, we don't need to fight. And then they, like, we do not want less violence in the game. Um, So I think (laughs) these guys were taking one for the team, and I think you should be proud of their service and what they've done for the greater sport of hockey.
1: Whoa. Well, I, 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 all right. So here's to violence. Yes. Cheers to violence. Cheers to violence. Uh, Can't fully find hope in that, but I, but what I do say is at least they were able to fight tying in the, I am able movement again. At least they were (laughs) able to fight. Uh, And so speaking of able now, can we jump into this awesome interview? Are you ready for it. it? All right. So again, the, the two founders of Eye to Eye, Marcus Sutra and CNN hero David Flink, leaders in education reform and in making sure that everyone feels they are able and capable of doing anything that they put their mind to uh, in spite of what the system might say is their disability. The leaders of Eye to Eye, David Flink and Marcus Sutra. Here we go. It is so great to be here with David and Marcus, these guys are leaders in the education community. They've done it all in terms of reaching out, breaking barriers, and making sure that voices are heard and everyone gets a fair chance. So we're gonna dive into all kinds of topics with the education field. It's a a topic that is so near and dear to my heart as someone with learning disabilities who also is doing a movement on uh, on giving voices to education, uh, to education, to kids in education, to people in the education field. So welcome, Marcus and David. It's so great to have you. Thanks
0: for having
1: us, And uh, so, David, I'll start with you and put you on the spot in an embarrassing way, because uh, you were uh, just recently named a CNN hero, and this is four or five years after I believe you were a GQ man of the year. So, talk about what it's like to be the most vain member of this conversation. <laughs> no, no, talk about. I mean, those accomplishments are incredible. So, so being a CNN hero, what? How did that come about? And and what was that like? Before we dive into the past a little more,
0: I, I, I will have to start by saying uh, thank you for having this space for us and for this community. Um, I will ha- happily answer those questions. Uh, but i have to say, and people may not know, right? Like, Aaron, we go back um, a while, you know. In, a while in, now, yeah. Long, long time. And you have always been somebody who creates a lot of hope in our world with the stories you tell and the places you hold voices. Um, and then, obviously, you bringing people together is part of the magic of the storytelling. So I just want to say thanks on behalf of everyone here on the screen. So Marcus, I'm speaking for you (laughs) and the entire Eye to Eye community and everybody tuning in. It's been a real gift. Um, And I can connect that to these two wild points in my life of recent. Um, The CNN hero moment has been uh, amazing for Eye to Eye and a little humbling for me and you know, a couple years back, the GQ man of the year thing. Um, And you know, I firmly believe to the extent that any of us are heroes it is that all of us are heroes. Um, and Marcus will be the first to tell you uh, in the early days of eye to eye, uh, I actually shy very much away from those places where I could help to tell a larger story. And what I've realized is over time, you know, people who have the least um, who are on the edges are often um, lacking the ability to, to get their voices heard. And I think if we've learned anything during this pandemic, when cracks have become canyons, the way you get the voices out of those canyons is to listen. So I I feel lucky that those two spaces, GQ and CNN most recently, have given me a space to to share the voice of people who learn differently and the intersectionality of those voices. I'm I'm a white guy who has an LD. That is one part of a much, much larger story. LD touches all of us in a variety of ways. And even, you know, I think all three of us can share a little bit of our LD stories and that will only be a very small sliver of the larger journey that is learning. Um, so yeah, it's been wild, but number one person who got me to these places is on screen with me. And that's Marcus, my best friend, I die as president. Um, and the person who keeps telling me every time I freak out before these moments you got this, the um, <laughs> 100%, 100% would not be on this screen or anywhere in magazines or on the news. if not for Marcus.
1: And so let's go right to Marcus and put you on the spot. You are, uh, The other half of this operation that it's a collaboration you have so many people who make it happen you're the other half of this brainchild that's grown eye to eye to what it is Uh, so can you talk a little about what that passion is inside you to make make eye to eye what it is and keep growing it and also a few of the challenges that you've encountered during covid as you were really i know ramping up further and further things were getting bigger and bigger and then you guys like a lot you know like most of society hit a uh, hit a wall but you did it didn't stop you
3: like the passion and the thing that drives me is 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 my own you know lived experience is is the experience of growing up as a kind of as a kid with a learning disability or learning difference as I speak of it now and um, seeing that identity evolve over time as something that was solely in the negative category is something that i is really a, a piece of a place of pride uh, and is is a is a is a skill in many ways on how i experience the world um so my experience really started out as the individual recipient of a broken education system and then i began working as an educator uh, in that system and saw my, my lived experience as a way to create more empathy for other students and how they learned, um, to, to just and whether or, or that was like students who learn differently or students who were struggling with something else. Just this idea that like empathy is one of the most important tools in an educator's toolbox um, because students are coming to Dave's point, coming to your classroom with a whole host of things. Um, you know, I remember a student early on who was like who we were like, oh, you have to like, you know, we were talking about using a computer to like type his essay. And he like pulled me aside and said, I'm actually kind of living in my parents' car right now. So we don't have a computer, access to a computer. And, you know, and it was just like complete, those kinds of little moments that you have, it's like, like whether it's student had a learning disability or other struggles, like having the empathy to understand where your students are coming from. The very first time I told my students that I was dyslexic, uh, because I couldn't spell anything on the board or read out loud or any of the things that us dyslexics kind of struggle with, one of the kids in the front row of my class, the front seat, and gave me a high five and said, I'm dyslexic too. And so I feel like my life's mission is just to huh.
1: scale that high five. You touched on a, a big word, empathy. It's something I think that's been lacking a lot in our society, in our country, in schools. We need more of it. Uh, another word that goes with this is uh, disability. Disability has a negative connotation to it. You don't really feel empathetic when you're using the word disability. But there's a problem there. To to dig into to an issue that I think is going on. There's a, the problem there is that our system, our government, is set so that people. If you say you have the disability, you get extra advantages or extra or money or treatment in uh, the school system. So it's almost like you need that money. so you need to feel less you need to be less empathetic to someone's view of themselves by using a word that's can be viewed negatively in order to get proper funding. Uh, so I guess I, I'm curious both your opinions on that and that word because we're doing it a lot with, uh, with our I Am Able movement and we've always said we are all disabled, but the dis is distant, which I'll get into more. But I'm just curious what you think of that because it feels like they clash.
0: Cultural context where I'll start um, around that idea of disability, I, you know, again, the reason why we've known each other for so long, Aaron, is because you are leading a movement to change the culture. And so you know, I, I feel strongly, um, and you heard it even the way Marcus described, going from disability to difference. There's a privilege and being able to go from that one space to another. Um, And being able to describe something as a difference does in fact change the way the system reacts to you. But I don't know if for you, but when I got my dyslexia label, it was with a whisper. And when you whisper it in like this quiet context, like it's a secret that nobody should know, you are literally passing on shame in that moment. What if in the same way you shouted it from the rooftops and you recognize that we are one in five people And uh, the whole community came out. I was like, welcome. It's one of your identities, you know? And I think the better way that we as a society can get at the disability problem of culture is what we're doing right now. Just telling our stories, understanding better that we have a myriad of stories. And we have a variety of different abilities. Sometimes those abilities come with weaknesses. And sometimes they come with strengths. Sometimes they're both. My dyslexia is definitely both. If you gave me a spelling test right now, I would fail. If you gave me a creativity test, I'd, if such a thing really exists, you know, <laughs> I think I'd do pretty well. Um, and then in terms of the structural piece, I mean, I think we just have to name that schools were primarily designed without um, sort of the thought of the variety of people that would come through the front door. And so when we talk about the varying levels of resources that are given to kids, um, all kids who are not built specifically for those systems, it's a fight towards equity. I actually tend to use examples of folks from our physical disability community space because I think that they're more tangible for people maybe who are listening who don't know this journey. If a building is built with steps and you're a wheelchair user, the extra uh, resources to get that person in a wheelchair up those steps is a ramp. They're not asking for more. They're just asking for equity. If we built all ramps, they wouldn't have to ask for more and nobody would either. That's what's sort of exciting to me when I think about how that looks for my indivis- invisible difference. Like I listen to books with my ears as opposed to reading them with my eyes. If all books were handed out in school with the option of reading with ears or eyes and they both were, there was no cultural norm, one's better than the other. We wouldn't be asking for extra, we'd just be getting what we needed.
3: Um, so I think that, that that's kind of one of the, kind of the core complications with our work is that is we're getting people to we're t- saying the system is broken and there, but there are these resources to support you. And if you embrace that and embrace that label, you can succeed.
1: And you still have to adhere to the system in some ways until we truly break down the barriers and make it so that it's just, there are always ramps, as you were saying. As if there's always ramps, then uh, as, a, as a metaphor for all of this, if there's always ramps, then we've broken down this movement and this barrier, this, this whole thing to be just accepted as everyone learns different. Some people have learned outside of a, a specific box that our system has created. And that's totally fine. Cause there's a ramp for everyone.
0: And a lot of what we do at eye to eye is build those metaphorical ramps. I mean, that's constantly the innovations that we've been working on for 22 years. Um, and I think, cause we learn differently. We've, been iterating. Every time a new problem has come, and I know we'll get into COVID in a minute, but probably good to do like pre-COVID, which Marcus, I'll turn back to you. Um, we've just been like, okay, we gotta find a new ramp. The context changed. Um let's do it. You know? So anyhow, Marcus, do you want to like share like some of the some of some of the ramps we've been building for the past couple of years?
1: Yeah, I'd love to just like what's this like give the the person who knows nothing the like the the eye to eye journey, like how you've gone from you know an idea to what it is today sure
3: sure so we're an organization that is for and by people who learn differently so david and i both had this lived experience we have proximity to this and that as that along with research and years of of learning has informed the way we run our programs and what our organization does is we build community for people with learning disabilities at uh, the end of june we're doing an advocacy day a day of action with national center for learning disabilities where our students our high school and college students are actually going to speak to Congress, members of Congress and senators um, to be able to sh- tell them
1: exactly what students who learn differently need. When you bring up uh, what, you know, with congressmen and being involved with the the government to to get that change going further, which I think is a huge piece that we need in society, how have you seen... That relationship with what you're doing and what you're advocating and what we all try to advocate for—how have you seen it grow, or have its ups and downs and be a roller coaster from the time I'd, I started to now, uh, in terms of opportunity and possibility? I, and I both of you, David first, yeah.
0: I mean, I, 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 I'm sitting here thinking about two worlds. You asked from the time we started to now, and I'm like, how about from the time we started till pre-pandemic? and then the entire world that's happened in the past year and a half. And I feel like I just have to start here because I actually don't wanna go back to the world pre-pandemic. The, the world pre-pandemic wasn't great for kids who learn differently. So I don't, I'm not like aiming to go back to that. I think we have an opportunity that we've learned in this pandemic. We've seen the best and worst of society in some ways. I mean, obviously this has been an incredibly hard time for everyone and the hardest for those who had the least at the beginning of the pandemic, as an example of where government, I think, went wrong, and I don't know if folks listening in even know this, but people who have IEPs, which are, you know, or have diagnosed learning disabilities, have rights within schools. And when the pandemic hit, and everybody went home at the beginning, right? And suddenly, all of our students were virtual. Many schools across the country started sending home waivers to families asking them to wave away their rights. And if it was not for the fact that IDI and others played an important role in mobilizing young people, particularly, to talk to their elected officials and ultimately, you know, this practice stopped, you know, we could have seen a complete regression to all the progress we've made over the years to just holding those rights. So that's, you know, just focusing on a very small piece of time, but a really important thing that's happened. Um, during this pandemic, that if we had gone the wrong way on that, decades of work could have been eroded. And, and with
1: the you brought up the now and what we're ha- what's happening now, there there was something that I felt was a big deal. Um, it's that the most powerful person in the world, the President of the United States, has a disability and is open about it. And if you see that President Biden having a disability, will be a benefit and what that could be going forward. Um, I don't know if David, you have a thought or Marcus? Yeah, I
3: mean, I think if you think about just, just take the inauguration for just a minute, like when things began, like the you know January 20th, when the, be- the first day of the presidency, you had someone who has, you know, I would say he's in our learning differences club, uh, <laughs> as someone mm-hmm. who had and, and and struggled in, academically in school and has that. And again, because of that, had that empathy, right? Um, And then you had the person who spoke right after him, the poet laureate Amanda Gorman, who also Mm -hmm. has a disability and is a member of our community. And just kind of, I think the entire country stopped when they heard her for the first time. And now she's on the cover of Vogue and just like an incredible example of the potential of people with learning disabilities. Um, You know, I think like, you know, I, maybe I'm harping on it too much, but I do really feel like the things that made the difference in the last year around COVID was resiliency and empathy. And, you know, luckily I think people with learning disabilities, like we kind of have those, we have to develop those skills in a really, really unique way to be able to just like, to get through school or work or whatever it might be.
1: Um, and so one I other word I'd, I think I'd add is, is persistence. Um, persistence feels like maybe it's part of those words. It just feels like persistence too, uh, that, that we don't give up.
0: And, you know, for Mm, me, there was a line that was actually lifted in the CNN piece that was my, the happiest part for me watching it was that they got this one line. What I like about the learning difference community is that it allows us to love across difference. When I look at eye to eye being active in, you know, half of America, both red and blue States, you know, being through line learning but being different in so many ways and finding a way to love across that difference because it's about learning like for me that feels very exciting um to the point of this moment in our time yes i think this administration has put some things on the table that weren't put on the past from a resource standpoint you know aaron it wasn't that long ago you came to our largest convening so you actually saw this live right Uh, yeah brown yeah and I, i don't know if you want to riff on that at all but Uh, As somebody who's, you know, I appreciate you started off talking about, you know, your own affinity in this club. And uh, you were there to inspire. But, you know, what was that like for you hanging out with a couple hundred people all from different places in the world who had that similarity of LD? Because that's what I think, you know, is about community.
1: That's the community is everything to me because the community should be everyone. So it doesn't mean that it should be people who have one type of disability it doesn't mean that it should be people who have disability or don't have disability this affects everyone and it's actually why we're doing on May 19th we're starting this I am able campaign where everyone should put up in their in the box on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook I am able that's simple and it's based around this concept of we are all disabled but you take the dis and you you put it in the distance, so it's really, we are all able. We all have abilities. We all have things we're not good at. And being in that uh, room and in that Brown community where we were, uh, Brown University community, and getting to speak to and talk to all these but these, these eye-to-eye, uh, the eye-to-eye community, the kids and the parents, I felt right at home. It was just a beautiful feeling to feel right at home and to feel accepted and wanted with the words that I had to say, it it was like, we need to have this be everywhere.
0: I think if we can just lift that uh, speech you gave and maybe we'll share it on our graduating differently, <laughs> that'd be perfect. Uh, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, again, to the pandemic, like I just, I, this is, there's gotta be hope in this show, so I'm gonna give it here. Like that event you described, Marcus and I in our own World pre pandemic could never imagine doing it not in person. And the pandemic hit, and the two of us cried for like a minute. And it's true. We literally, exactly. I remember calling, we, yeah, it was more than a minute actually. And then we did that same convening virtually. Um, and I don't know, a couple hundred people from across the country zoomed in the same way that we had done it, but like that event was really hard to plan. From a technical standpoint you can imagine getting people flying from all over the country also the carbon footprint on the world not great uh we did this virtually and those students came together and to the connected to the political authored a letter that they sent to the biden administration saying hey you just took office here are the seven things we think you need to pay attention to i mean there was like a minute of like we're happy to be together and then young people got to work. We're going to hold you accountable. And that's what I love about young people. They don't care. They're not waiting around. They are already decided that they're going to like rule this world. And we as adults just listen. And that event was wild.
1: Did you find inspiration in that?
2: It, it, it's honestly great. And, I, and you know, I don't think we should throw the word hero around loosely, but I think that David really has come through in a heroic way and he is a hero. So thank you, David, for everything that you have done. You know, made us think about, and I thought you know, just the stories and and just the way
1: that you sort of carry yourself is, it's been really really
2: amazing. So thank you.
1: And uh, so speaking of thanks, it's time for us to debate
0: Ooh. and we not thank week.
1: each other at all. Well, so there's a thing I'm noticing that I feel is funny, and I want I'm not going to say more than that, but. I can t- Now that the masks mandate is getting lifted and you don't have to wear masks anymore and people aren't caring about it, I'm noticing that there are like statement maskers. And I think and like who, who I think feel it's like they're making a statement by going around with their masks on still. And I think there's people who got used to this lifestyle, have trouble with change and just want to wear masks all the time. And then I think there's people who are judging people who wear masks versus don't wear masks. So I guess throwing it to you before I say some of my opinions, uh, what do you think of people who are walking around already vaxxed, wearing masks? What do you think of statement maskers who do it because they're making a like political statement? What do you think of... uh, of people who don't just seem to want to get back to the regular life.
2: Here's, I'll tell you what my original thought was and I'll tell you how it evolved recently. My original thought was those people are fucking pathetic. It's like <laughs> a lot of them just want to have control over other people and be sanctimonious and be like, I'm still wearing a mask even though we don't need to, because I'm really responsible. Unlike the rest of you. It's like, it's like fuck off. But I know that some of them do have people that are vulnerable at home they may live with elderly who are, you know, and they, I think they're just being, some. Of the, I think some of them are just being extra cautious about bringing anything home to someone who hasn't been vaccinated yet or someone that is still a risk. So I can see that, but I think a great amount of these people are probably not in that situation where they have a very at-risk person at home and wearing a mask. I mean, dude, you're literally, I remember this picture, there was one on Reddit the other day. There's this lady Wearing a mask in a city that doesn't need to have masks. You don't only have to wear it. She's driving a convertible with the top down and her mask on.
1: <laughs> it's like, <clears throat> what the fuck. What do you think? Well, I think it's comical. The people who are like, they said straight up, if you're outside walking around, you can't get the virus. Like it's not being transmitted airborne anymore. And they've also said if you're vaxxed, you can't get really sick from the virus. They've also said um, even elderly, if the elderly have been vaxxed, they probably there's like like there's more risk of all the other things that we had pre-COVID than COVID. If you've been vaxxed and kids can't get the virus or if they do, it's like a nothing case. Um, There have been almost zero kids who have been who have been like really hurt or died from COVID almost like there's a, I I look at it this way. There's a better chance at this point of you getting in your car with your mask on to go to wherever you're going to walk around with your mask. There's a better chance of you getting hit in that car and dying than you do of getting anything bad from COVID. So I have started to kind of just think it's fun. Like, like the statement maskers are a little bit funny. Like, yeah. I guess I mean, that's the lifestyle they've chosen, but, and, and choice, everyone has their own choice of what to do with their body and wear their mask. And if, if the thing that, that, that they've gotten out of the pandemic is that now they want to have masks on all the time, then by all means, if that's your statement or that's the thing that you want in your life, for me, what I've gotten out of the pandemic is man, I really, really don't ever want to be in a pandemic again. And all the things that we had to do because of the pandemic, I don't want to do anymore. And I want to live life again and appreciate yep. all the joys of life that much more. The last thing I want to do is like, keep doing a thing that we don't have to do now from the pandemic.
2: I I couldn't agree with you more. And, but maybe like, since we're on the same side again, we, we just pick a really quick uh, sort of make a choice here. And see if we agree there, and then yes or no, and then we move on. Now, since we're both in alignment, we have another question, a deeper question. Who is more annoying, statement maskers or the people that are now wearing masks, the anti-vax people that are wearing masks to protect themselves from the vaccinated people?
1: Ooh. Ooh. Statement maskers.
2: Yep, I'm I'm aligned because because <laughs> I think the anti-vax maskers are there's just they're not all there in their head <laughs> and <laughs> they're just like really pathetic and they're just like you know they're they're a bit troglodyte like but the people that are statement masking they know better but they're just yes. trying to be douchebags so yeah we okay we're in alignment but I'm, I think that was a fun way to end that segment because that like, was, was that just was good ridiculous
1: at <laughs> least the at least the anti-vax Vax mask, non-masker, maskers have had a through line throughout this of being idiots. Yes, they're consistent. They're consistent. Uh, So that now we got to go from the debates to a a bit of a tough topic, Uh but I can't go without saying it. Uh, We all know and I'm not going to even go into uh, a debate about or a discussion about what's going on in Israel because it is such a uh, sensitive topic and it's just not, wor- like this thing has been going on for for thousands of years and uh, trying to get into a, I'm a Jew and trying to get into a conversation about it. Um, I'm not even saying my point of view, cause it's just like, it doesn't get you anywhere and I've tried with other people and it just, there's just no point. What I do, uh, and I guess I'll say my point of view is I think that everything in life has a gray area there's nothing that's just black and white or there are some things like Hitler but, other, but uh, in general there, there's always uh, you can see reasons for both sides and then take one side and believe more in that than the other um, what I do not have any tolerance for and I feel very hopeless is the sushi place like three, four blocks away from me that is uh, one of my the best sushi spots on La Cienega. Okay. Uh, like four Jews were sitting in there. I think a couple had their, their uh, kipas on, their yarmulkes on. And some Palestinian, uh, pro-Palestine or Palestinians were driving by, saw them, stop the car, and beat them up.
2: Holy shit. And like,
1: yeah, and like destroyed some of the restaurant and hurt them and then people had to get in the way there's video of it it's a place like i uh if i was back in my nightcrawler era during the pandemic of trying to find the crimes going on i would have like driven up there and gotten in the middle of it but they uh but i wasn't home at the time but yeah like there's a you could look up sushi fumi on uh on twitter and you'll see what they did and it was just like that made me feel hopeless the fact that in my backyard literally my backyard I mean you know where I live this is like La Cienega by the Beverly Center and so not very far from my place No, and um, I felt an extreme hopelessness thinking my goodness that's a sushi place one I like I could have easily been there and two we're in Los Angeles like why is th- now we we're coming out of the pandemic and like Palestinians are fighting Jews in Los Angeles for no reason. Like that just made me feel hopeless. And if I was there, I'm not one to have a uh, censor when something I see go bad is going wrong. I would have definitely been involved. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't said, doubt like, that
2: for a second. You don't watch injustices happening
1: if they're right in front of you. I know that
2: of you. And
1: no, especially this- to like, I'm a Jew and it's like, dude. Like, why are you, you don't know what, what our viewpoints are. You don't know what we're saying. We're not in Israel. We're in Los Angeles. Leave us alone.
2: And it's it's really fucking sad. This is, again, I'm going to go on an anti-media rant and an anti-Twitter rant is because what's happened is you have just reductionist logic that is actually causing real, real harm. It's, I what I think people are thinking, this is not Jews versus Muslims. This is literally... People need to distinguish between Hamas and Israel and innocent Palestinians. People need to distinguish yes. between a lot of the militant IDF and innocent Israelis. And right now, you have... There's a-
1: another one. There's a third one. And then you need to, defi- to differentiate between Israelis and Jews. Yes.
2: And here you have... This is literally a hate crime. And this is something that is just... I mean, I am really sorry that this happened. It's, it's, and I think that right now we have literally politicians that are going on Twitter and taking sides and but just adding fuel to the fire. And again, most of these politicians would probably and the people that are supporting the people. I bet you these guys that were attacking these these Jewish guys that were just sitting there with the yarmulkes, just eating sushi. I guarantee they could not point out Palestine on a map. I guarantee you they do not oh. understand any of the nuance of what's happening. And I think we are just in in, in, a, in a space and time where people are so quick to jump on issues, to get their own social clout. And in the name of justice and social justice, really, they just want to have a loud voice so it can be amongst the other loud voices and it's pathetic. And you have this news media that is running away from nuance and intelligent reporting and is just reporting on these same issues. Idiotic tweets and that's what's been the news And that's what is causing so much of this Anger and violence outside of The West Bank and the Gaza Strip And this is, Which is just uh, in, yeah.
1: it's, in, it's just so, disgusting
2: Fuck all the Rita Skeeters out there Fuck all the Cornelius Fudges and the Dolores Umbridges. I'm going to make more Harry Potter References <laughs> each week but these people are Literally <laughs> that I hold Them very responsible For a lot of these hate attacks That are happening here in domestically in this hate violence and hate speech. It's insane. I've never seen more anti Semitism in my Instagram feed or in any feed in my entire life. Unprovoked anti Semitism. And it is
1: well unbelievable. The last like four or five years it's been more than any time and, in my I mean, life.
2: But especially over the past couple of weeks, this is like this is like also this is anti Semitism coming from people with like blue checks, people that have a responsibility and actual calls to violence but that's again where it seems like right now the tech industry is not going to do anything about that. So it's, it's nope. really, it's really sad. Um, so I'm well, sorry to hear that. Um, if any hope I may bring to this is, I think there is going to be a breaking point eventually it's, it's, you know, the whole, like first they came for the communists and they did nothing. Then they came for this and then, you know, like that whole, um, yeah. and then eventually they came for me and no one was there to, to protect me. I think it's that I I think people are starting to realize that the, the technocracy that is ruling our language and ruling our world and this causing these divides and really amplifying them. I think someone's going to be held accountable really soon because at this point it's 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 hitting more than just the conservative people that voted for Trump. It's hitting innocent people like that are just being Jewish, just hanging out, and it's yep. fucked up. So, yeah.
1: Well, that's why. Um Again, tying in the I Am Able thing, because, and that's really one of the reasons, and I didn't know this would be happening when we were do, getting this all going, but we have have so many divides in our country and in our world, and they spill over to other countries as we're seeing right now with uh, what happened right up the street from me. And I hope that some of the landscape can start to change and maybe there can be a little dent with, what, with this I Am Able movement, because... We need to lift people up and show what show people what they can be proud of instead of just constantly on social media pitting people against each other. And that's the goal of what we're doing here is got to we gotta break these divides and we have to rise above uh, what we're spewed at to hate each other for and show what we're able to do in a positive light. Show what we're able to accomplish in a positive light, not show how we're able to spew hate and be just mad at each other and commit acts of violence and then promote those acts of violence on Twitter and social media. Why don't we use social media to promote some positivity here? And I guess that's uh, the way to combat what you're talking about.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And you know, and I think another thing to keep in mind is that most people do not feel this hate. Most people I think just want people to be happy and be okay, regardless of what their religion is or where they stand in this. And it's always, and we have to just keep reminding ourselves it's the loud ones. It's the obnoxious ones that are a very small minority. And I, and I have trouble remembering that all the time too. But I think, you know, if anything, they are the ones that are the smaller population doing this. And it's not everyone.
1: And I hope it stays. Not everyone. So, and I guess with that, Yeah, I do too. I mean, amen to that. I hope it's not, I I believe, I believe in humanity and humanity will prevail. And uh, so speaking of humanity, is it time for hope in 60 seconds?
2: It is. It is. It's perfect time for hope in 60 seconds. And you have both of our topics this week. So let me set up the timer. And while I do that, as a reminder, this is a segment where Aaron and I will bring some hope to a topic In one minute, he'll explain it to me and then I'll take some time to give the answer. And let's go.
1: So there uh, it is coming out now that people want to splurge. The, The pandemic is ending and people want to splurge. People want to be hedonistic. People want to live life. I tend to go in that direction as well. I want to do the exact same thing. I want to do that. And what I am feeling hopeless about is trying to figure out where in the world to balance life going forward. And there's a big article on Market Watch about this, um, that people just want to spend their money now and get rid of it and just do things. So how how do I feel hopeless about being able to ever find balance going forward of just wanting to do everything?
2: I think that here's how you find hope. Let's just say like this just for number sake, you spend $100 in a year on this entertainment this splurging on an average year. Last year, we probably spent $30, right? So mm. I think go splurge. We have half the year left. And I think if you average out to, and you spend, I don't know, in in instead of spending 100 this year because there's less time now, we're finally opening up and you're spending 70, it's more con- concentrated for the rest of this year, but you earned it, right? And you're still spending less than usual. I think it's absolutely okay to treat yourself after this do not just go back to normal celebrate we don't you will never be on your deathbed looking back and regretting the times that you treated yourself and you had a great time with the ones you love and your friends especially after coming out of a two or a year and a half lockdown I think that there should be no no uh, resignation on your face about that
1: okay cool so I'll uh, keep my yacht.
2: Yes, keep the yacht. That was a little bit longer. I'm sorry I took this such a long explanation, but let's start the next one.
1: I like it, though. I feel hope. I'm going to just go do things. Uh, the second one. So uh, got to bring them up one time. Since leaving office, uh, Donald Trump has charged the Secret Service more than $40,000 to use space at Mar-a-Lago. And this just reminded me of what a giant pile of dog shit he is and I heard that and I just thought oh my gosh these poor guys and they're trying to serve our country and they're having to pay it $40,000 a year to just take care of this guy
2: so I actually saw the same headline and I thought it was actually kind of hilarious I mean the dude (laughs) is a troll and as much as he sucked I miss I miss the trolling on a national level and I mean, the same guy that tweeted... Do you think he
1: even knows what trolling is? I don't even think he knows what think oh,
2: He's literally, he's a troll that got picked a house. I mean, the same guy that tweeted, I have never seen a thin person drinking Diet Coke. Like, that is just oh, yeah. ridiculous <laughs> and hilarious. And I know the dude is bad on Twitter, and I know he was not a good president. But God, having a global leader tweet shit like that while holding the most powerful office in the world, there is something that was fucking horrible. Awesome about it, and fuck Twitter for banning him because that was we we lose out on those hits. We're losing out on those hits. No way, man. No, like no hope. Gong, no hope. I am not hope. Trolls trolls have to be protected. Trolls are a sacred treasure and a national institution, a global
1: institution. We must protect trolls at all costs. Do Do you think think, Donald Trump ever knew he was a troll? Because I don't don't at all. He
2: knew he was pissing everybody off. He knew exactly how to push buttons. I mean, the dude's been an entertainer. He's been in TV. He's been in business for a long time. You know, you have to know. There's... Honestly, there's nobody that has actually manipulated the press more successfully than he has. He turned every headline into himself. Like he is, he's a media genius. He is not a presidential genius in any way. He's actually probably not even a regular genius. He's not even a stable (laughs) genius, but he (laughs) is a media and a communications genius. And even though he can't talk properly or type properly (laughs) or say things properly, he, there's. I don't know of any public figure that has been able to manipulate the media better in my lifetime or in history. And we have to at least acknowledge that brilliance on his end. And that dude, could, pro- that, that dude could tweet, man. Um, so it's probably I'm true. Hap- I'm happy he's out of office, but goddamn, I miss his Twitter so much. It is Twitter has not been the same since he left. Rest no, peace. I mean we're we're also
1: not having like capital riots and stuff, so that part's good. But I am with you on that. That even though he can't maybe complete a sentence, he was really good at sending the most atros- atrociously, disgustingly crazy treat.
2: T- oh yeah, t- t- and just like calling people in his own party, like Lion Ted Cruz, and just like all the nicknames for people.
1: I miss that so much. So <laughs> Lion Ted, Lion Ted, what was it? Uh, Shifty Shift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my
2: god. And he even got like racist, like like what he was calling Pocahontas. Like, Pocahontas. like, holy crap, yeah. man, this is oh, this is the president. And that was a special it was a horrible time for many people. But that Twitter, that timeline just on Twitter with those tweets was a special time we will sadly never see again in terms of the hilarity of the president of any country. Man. So
1: well, all right. I feel, I feel hope in your joy.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump was the best Twitter user in history. Um, <laughs> and so.
1: so I, I guess, you know, we, we haven't brought him up in a while. So it was, it felt like the right time. Yeah. Uh, and so we just uh, to wrap up the show. We have a submission, uh, a submission and one hope fulfilled. Mm-hmm. Um, the submission is uh, from Andrew in NYC. Oh, what was Aaron? What was your cryptic post? My cryptic post about something coming in two weeks is the I am able movement. Go to iamable.info. That was the post was saying that in two weeks we are having a positive movement, social movement coming, and a coalition of all these organizations coming together to make a difference in in how people are raise up with their abilities. And and uh, that you can't say vulnerable without also saying able. So it's okay to be vulnerable as long because you're also saying what you're able to do. So Andrew, that's what, what I was cryptic about. And now I'm not, now it's be loud, be proud about who you are and what you're able to do and be able. And And, uh, the last thing is a UFO update.
2: Yeah. And this is just an update. If you guys, for you listeners out there, remember I was talking about UFOs um, that were spotted on um, off the airplanes, uh, off of the fighter jets off the Atlantic coast um, in Virginia beach. Well, What's happened is there was just a 60 minutes episode And they were uh, from last, this past week They were talking to the pilots They've released even more footage And literally the f- and the footage that they showed They were saying we have no technology We know of no human technology that can do that This is stuff that I'm so happy I, I never thought we'd see in our lifetime Actually not And this is not stuff that's like on X-Files Or anything like that This is like a legitimate news program That is with literal legitimate government employees Going on record Publicly with footage of UFOs, I'm so happy we are not alone. And um, yes, Aaron, when we become um, musket uh, billionaires, we are going to buy our own UFOs. It's going to be amazing.
1: All right, so we're going to own UFOs and we're going to troll people who (laughs) think that it's they're aliens by being like the fake UFOs.
2: Yes. Yes.
1: I love it. And I, yeah. I, I I, never, ever had a doubt that there's life on other planets. Me either.
2: But I just love the and proof, think, man. Love, love the And thing.
1: no one's freaking out either. That Everyone <sighs> thought, oh, if they let it be released, then people, the, our society will freak out. And no one's freaking out. People aren't even noticing. They're more mad about like a tweet by Elon Musk.
2: Yeah. I mean, last year we had you know, that crazy election. We had the pandemic, we had murder hornets. I mean, we had, we went through a lot of shit in the past year. Everybody's like, Oh, aliens. That's uh, not even the top of the list. So, which is really <laughs> hilarious. So no, uh, yeah. Anyway, well, that's a good way to end. It's a good way yeah. to end the show. Yeah. I feel good. I feel we, we brought a lot of hope and, um, and I think next week we will continue to do the same. Uh, My name is Rohit. You can find me at Vohit for Rohit with the number four uh, and on all the channels. And my co-host is
1: I am the Aaron Wolf on all social platforms. And also uh, if you go to we are all disabled or I am able on all social platforms, you can find the movement that we're talking about and uh, also the hopeless show on all social platforms, which we're actually starting to use again. So you should check those out too. So all kinds of hope, all kinds of positivity. We hope everyone has a wonderful week. And until next week, we are going to now go try to get, become billionaires by buying. Another yes. Coin. Yes.
2: Hopefully the next time you talk to us, we have, um, we're just swimming in a giant vault of gold coins. Each of us, um, the acoustics may be bad for our show, but it'll be worth it.
1: Well, we'll be podcasting from the UFO we bought.
2: Exactly. It'll be great. But until then stay hopeful.
0: When the world seems golden and bleak and you just can't take it anymore, here it comes that glimmer of hope, a light shines through the dark. It's a hopeless show with Aaron and it hit woe. It's a hopeless show with Aaron and Row hit woe.